Good morning. From the beginning of our study in Colossians, it has been clear to us that Paul was aware of threats and temptations used against the people in Colossae by the devil. And Paul was interested deeply in conveying to the people of Colossae, the Christians there, that our protection against all threats is our steadfast reliance on Jesus Christ. Our active faith in Him and trust in Scripture protects us against threats, temptation, false doctrine, and of course that trust that takes us to Scripture eventually, when acted upon, takes us to heaven. So there are warnings and exhortations that we need today, captured by the Holy Spirit, revealed here in the book of Colossians. We are in chapter 2 at verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, right after prayer. Heavenly Father, accept of us our praise and thanksgiving, our interest in learning more, and our continuing appreciation for Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We want to be complete in Him, and ask Thy help in our study together. In His name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, listen please, verses 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. There is a relaxed, naive attitude many people ta have today about relationship with God. A very relaxed, casual attitude. And sometimes it takes this form, that, that once you become a Christian, everything happens pretty much <clears throat> without much effort. You're a Christian now. No bumps in the road and no struggles and temptations can be brushed off very quickly and easily. You know the truth. Error is not an issue. This is typical of many people. This very relaxed, naive approach, which is exactly <clears throat> what the devil is looking for. The devil is looking for people who've been baptized and who are so relaxed and naive that they're vulnerable. That's exactly what the devil is looking for. People who say, well, I'm a Christian now. Everything's going to be just fine. I can relax. And they let their guard down and the devil is at the door. It is not realistic to be naive about temptations because we have an adversary, and we shall always have an adversary. 
And that adversary has one purpose, to take us away from God. He will try to get thoughts into our mind that can turn us from God, if not within an hour or two, maybe within a few years. He will tempt us to sin in ways that target our particular weakness. He will use people to influence us in the wrong direction. And some of the people that he may use are very charming and have an appearance that they have our best interest at heart. He will use religious teachers to charm us and deceive us and to take from us what we have in Christ. So, there are warnings all through the New Testament and the warnings are addressed to Christians. And this is one of them. See to it that no one takes you captive. And if you have the New King James, it says, beware. That's a term that's used very often in the New Testament, used several times by the Lord Himself. You can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Beware, the New King James says, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There's one phrase I now want to latch on to. One phrase I want us to underscore, if not on the paper, in your Bible, in your mind. And that phrase is, not according to Christ. Whatever the approach or the temptation into our hearts might be, whatever specific form the charm and the deceit might take, whatever it looks like, whatever it's called, anything presented to us that is not according to Christ, we need to reject. Anything presented to us that's not according to Christ, we're going to need to reject. It may be a religious system. It may be a particular church that's not according to Christ. It may be teachers. It may be ideas. It may be thoughts. The test is, is it according to Christ? Don't let anything in your mind, don't let anything in your heart and in your life, your relationship with God, if it's not according to Christ. Now... I'm going to ask you, how am I going to be prepared to detect something that is not according to Christ? You can answer. You're going to have to know Christ. And how how are you going to know Christ? By reading the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a good place. You learn about Christ there. And then as you continue in the book of Acts and Romans and the rest of the New Testament, you are learning what is according to Christ. And you're putting that in your head. Now, if something tries to get in that's not according to that, it needs to be rejected. So that becomes the key phrase here. Anything that seeks entry into your heart and life and it's not according to Christ, it needs to be 
rejected. Now, I could give you a list of things we know are not according to Christ. In the religious world, there's a whole theological system called Calvinism. It's not according to Christ. Many Protestant denominations have their creeds built on the foundation of the teachings of this man, John Calvin. Calvinism is a theological system. It's not according to Christ. Roman Catholicism is not according to Christ. New Age religion, the Islamic religion, modern Judaism, Protestant denominationalism, moral and ethical systems based on fraternal institutions like masonry, Scientology, premillennialism, on and on. Now, what a lot of people want preachers to do is just give me a list and I'll just take the list. And anything that approaches me that the preacher has in the list that he gave me, I'll know that that's not according to Christ. You're putting something in between you and the Word when you do that. The better thing is daily Bible reading, Bible study. When you hear something in a sermon or a class, you verify that that's on the pages of Scripture so that when something approaches you that's not according to Christ, you don't have to fumble around on your desk and try to find the list the preacher gave you. You either know it's not according to Christ because of previous study, <clears throat> or you can take that system or idea and you can open Scripture now to see if it's according to Christ. That's the test. If you learn what is according to Christ, you'll be prepared to identify what isn't according to Christ. And you'll develop more and more respect for the perfect and undefiled religion of Jesus Christ. See to it, in the English Standard Version it reads, see to it that no one take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, there's something there that ought to be, ought to be frightening, take you captive. We were captive once we were captivated by the devil and his devices before we obeyed the gospel. In our obedience to the gospel, we were delivered from sin by the death of Christ and our response to it. And so we are free from that captivity. Now you could be taken captive again. So I must be on guard. I cannot take that naive approach that says, well, I've been baptized, everything's fine. Somebody could take you captive. That's a threat. But nobody can take you captive unless you allow it. And you allow it when you neglect to measure everything by what is according to Christ. Your additional remarks about this would be welcomed here. Briefly, let me deal with the terms that we discover in verse 8. Philosophy is a system of thinking, a way of viewing the world according to some man or group of men, but not according to Christ. I had to take philosophy in college. One of the biggest challenges of taking a philosophy course in college 
is staying awake. You have all these guys. Most of them are saying the same thing that is characteristic of human wisdom in their time. They're saying it in different ways, and one has a little bit different angle than the other. And it's not according to Christ, and it's boring, and they go on and on and on as philosophy. It is a view of the world according to some man or some group of men, but not according to Christ. Empty deceit. Somebody's lying to you. Making a promise of great benefit, but it's empty of what is promised. It is not according to Christ. Human tradition is what men have come up with, and they've passed on to their heirs, insisting to their heirs that it be followed because they came up with it. The Pharisees illustrate human tradition that's not according to Christ. And then there is a, a phrase here that might be a little more troublesome, the elemental spirits of the world. Or I think in the New King James, uh, New King James it says the basic principles of of the world. That's not quite as easy to define. However, given the context of false religion or heresy in the area of Colossae, this likely has a very early Gnostic foundation. Gnostics were philosophers who were basically materialistic in their view of things. They were materialistic. I would offer that this is some view of the earth or life on earth that is materialistic. Probably came from the Gnostic philosophers. But the important thing, what's the important thing now? It's not according to Christ. So, my response to God ought to be to receive Christ as the Lord, as we discovered Wednesday night back in verse 6, Receive Christ as the Lord and walk in Him, careful to avoid any system, teacher, temptation, any idea that would take me captive off into something that is not according to Christ. You have anything to add to that? Right. Any passage in the New Testament that calls upon us to give heed to the Word of God, to read it and study it and contemplate it and activate it, that's what it means to discover what is not according to Christ. I will add this. In the modern popular megachurches, the emerging churches they like to call themselves, community churches, my understanding is that there is an absence of the very thing that we're doing this morning and that we do in every Bible class, in-depth Bible study. There's an absence of that. In any church setting where there is not clear, authentic exposition of the text of Scripture, people are not going to know when something is not according to Christ, unless... They read and study on their own. And if they read and study on their own, there's a great likelihood that they will leave a place where they're not being fed Scripture. So that's very important. There are people in modern churches who 
just don't really know the difference between New Testament Christianity and Catholicism and Islam and all that. It's all just one big jumble and they, they just don't make any distinctions. It's all religion. It's all about God. It's all all right. We have to dig into Scripture at the deepest level we are capable of to know what is according to Christ. All of this teaching in Colossians strongly recommends that Christians learn the truth about Christ and be equipped to discern between truth and error. Verse 9 is an unequivocal declaration of the deity of Christ and emphasizes in the highest way why we should be satisfied with what we have in Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here in Colossians 2.9, we are really looking at the same truth we studied back in chapter 1, verse 19. You remember? For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. Jesus is deity in the fullest sense. Never let anybody tell you that Jesus is 50% this and 50% that, or that He's almost divine. Let no one deceive you or take you captive in that regard. Jesus is deity in the fullest sense, all the fullness, the whole fullness. The same phrase used in Colossians 1.19, used again here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, those religious teachers and philosophers who were likely Gnostic, that's G-N-O-S-T-I-C if you want to look that up sometime, who were likely Gnostic in their teaching, they thrived in this area of Colossae and Laodicea. They spoke of Jesus Christ as an emanation from deity, a release of godlike power, but not the essence of God in person. So their definition of deity, to begin with, was not rooted in the Scriptures. It was worldly. It was self-serving. It was according to the elemental spirits of the world, whatever mysticism and materialism became a part of their philosophy. But to them, Jesus was a production from deity, not full deity in person. So Paul doesn't try to appease those false teachers. He's not interested in forming some sort of compromise. He affirms the full deity of Christ, and he makes it plain, while Jesus was in his bodily form, he retained full deity, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you have the NIV, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. It was important for Paul to affirm the full deity of Jesus Christ. I regard verse 10 as one of the key thematic statements of the Colossian epistle. So listen to it carefully. New King James, And you are complete in Him, <clears throat> who is the head of all principality and power. 
English Standard Version, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. It is a fundamental affirmation of the New Testament. God provides everything we need in Christ. We are complete in Him. I've said to us before, you may remember, never let anybody tell you that what you have in Christ is just great. That's marvelous. But you need something else, and I'm going to give you something else you need. So it's Christ supplemented by. It's Christ plus something else. Reject that. <clears throat> that's, that's not good thinking. It is ill-conceived. It is, in fact, false doctrine. You have been filled in Him. There's nothing else you need once you have what God provides <clears throat> in Christ. Here's one way to study this and, and to draw it into specifics. List every spiritual need you can think of that you have. So, from the New Testament, you're going to make a list of spiritual needs that you have, recognizing that you've sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. What do you need? Remission of sins, fellowship with God, instruction in character, motivation, instruction in worship, instruction about your relationship with people, with family, with other Christians, good, rich instruction and guidance about attitude and hope. These are things you need. You've made a list of the things the New Testament says that you need because you once lived in sin. All right, God's eternal plan came to pass over the ages Christ came and died and was raised from the dead. You responded to the gospel. Now, based on that, you have everything you need in Christ. It is not Christ supplemented by anything. It is not Christ plus someone or something else. All I have to do is make sure... I'm abiding in Christ. Remember from verse 3 that in Him are hidden how many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? All of them. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as one abides in Christ, living by the will that He gave in the New Testament, I'm assured that I am complete. No supplement, no compliment, no other religious association, no other leader, no other book. You are complete in Him. So, man-made religious schemes, creeds, ceremonies, rituals, traditions, not necessary, and not only not necessary, an intrusion upon your relationship with God. An intrusion upon your relationship with God. When you have what God offers in Christ and you embrace something else and try to tack that onto it, it becomes an intrusion into your relationship with God. You are complete in Him. And it says of Christ that He is the head of all principality and power, all rule and authority. This is an affirmation of the absolute 
supremacy of Christ over everything. Everything you could name. All things, all beings, all powers, anyone, any system, anything you might imagine, anything somebody says they've discovered recently, human authorities, angelic beings, men claiming spiritual standing organizations, Christ is higher than every bit of that. Christ is higher than any can claim. When we are united with Him in baptism, we accept Him as the head over all, and the head over us, over me, over you. There is this fullness that we have in Christ that cannot be supplemented by any offering of man, for He is the head over every power, every authority, every claim of everybody. And this must be our faith in Him, and this faith will keep us from being taken captive again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Before I go into the practical takeaways, is there anything you've thought about as we have navigated verses 8 through 10? Anything I've overlooked, that's very possible. Or is there some one thing from this that stands out in your mind that maybe I have not given sufficient emphasis to? Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Yes, ma'am. That's right. And they were warned about it even before they did it. They were warned about adopting the ways of the Canaanites over and over. Moses warned them before they actually got to the land. Be careful about this. Don't do what the Canaanites do. And again, the law that God gave for those people, the Jews, under that system, that law was adequate. They didn't need to supplement it with a golden calf or with anything the Canaanites came up with. Very good point. Yes, sir. Sedio. Yeah, that's right. In fact, the next paragraph we're going to get into Wednesday night, we will refer to the situation Setio refers to in Galatians, where teachers came in and say, yes, I know you've been baptized, and Jesus Christ is great, but here are some parts of Judaism that you need to hang on to, and they would impose that upon people. Right. That's, that's another good illustration. In fact, everything we've talked about here is illustrated before and after this text. It's illustrated very well. Do not let anybody take you captive. Christ is all we need. Anything else? Very good remarks.
All right, takeaways. I think we're at that last 10 minutes. I don't guess the change of the clock changes that I still have 10 minutes left. Different 10 minutes than I had last Sunday. The word beware, I wanted to stress. Regardless of the translation that you have in your lap, verse 8 puts responsibility on every Christian. If it says, see to it, or if it says, beware, you read the Bible, study what it says, what it meant to them, what it means to us, you listen to sermons and class material with verification from the pages of Scripture, and when you're doing all that, you're protecting yourself against attack and deception the charm of men, the empty deceit that can take you captive. You're doing what this word conveys. Beware or see to it. That places responsibility on every Christian. And that's why I said to you earlier in the class, a preacher can give you a list. And he can say, all these that I've listed here are wrong. And you can just take that list and when you run into that particular system, you can say, well, here it is on the preacher's list. I know it's wrong. That's not the best way. The best way is for you to know the truth so well that you recognize what isn't the truth. You recognize the counterfeit. You recognize the counterfeit. This is individual responsibility. Beware. See to it. Discernment is the discipline that we call that. We call that discernment, and it is a personal responsibility. It isn't wise to just sit back and say, well, I've been baptized, and I know what the New Testament says, and I'll just be okay. You constantly need to be fed with the Word to enable you to not be taken captive. I've got a whole list of passages here. And I'm uncertain that I will have time to go through them, but I'm going to cite them for you. These are other passages where this responsibility is punctuated. The responsibility of discernment that each individual has. Matthew seven, fifteen through 20. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. You're going to need to take hold of that responsibility the rest of your life. If you've studied the Bible 40 or 50 years, it may be a little easier toward the end to recognize false teaching. But you're going to have that responsibility all your life. Beware of false prophets. Sadio mentioned Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Paul said to the Galatians, there's just one Gospel, there is not another. You don't need anything else. Acts 17, verse 11. The people in Berea searched the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing was true. They accepted that responsibility. Hebrews 13 and verse 9. Beware of different doctrines. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. I could give a dozen others. 
But all of those punctuate that responsibility every one of us have to be. Well, there they are. Look at that. They're up there. I'd forgotten that I'd put them on the slide. Beware. See to it. Let's look back into verse 8 and find that phrase, human tradition, and talk a little bit more about that. Make sure we're clear. Every translation has either human tradition or the tradition of men. The definition of the phrase is rather simple. It is what men come up with that they enjoin on the next generation. They say, we came up with this, and we expect you to keep it, and we expect the next generation to keep it. We expect everybody down the line to keep it. We came up with it. It's a human tradition. It is not according to Christ. It's not a part of what God gave us to maintain. It's what men came up with. Now, I give that clarity to the definition because occasionally someone will suggest, maybe from this verse, that everything that we've done in the realm of judgment and expediency ought to be changed about every two or three years. And so the order of services and other areas of local uh, judgment, we ought to change that around so we don't get locked into human tradition. Well, those are areas of judgment and expediency. And that's not the point of this verse, even though maybe in some cases brethren might decide it wise to make some changes in what they do in the realm of judgment. That's fine, but that's not what this verse is about. This was not in matters of judgment. This was in matters of human tradition in regard to things that were, what's the phrase? Not according to Christ. So we, we need to be very clear about what is being referred to under that phrase, human tradition. It's not about the human judgments and expediences that we make, uh, that, that we're called upon to make. It's about things that are not according to Christ. And then, third, I wanted to stress in... Uh, maybe conclusion, the completeness that we have in Christ. I, I, th I think we could repeat that concept over and over again and not wear it out and do good. I'm convinced it's one of the fundamental themes of Colossians. Living in Christ, according to Christ, nothing else is needed. Nothing else needs to be tacked onto that. I read this one time, and I apologize I did not write down the source, but it was in my notes from a long time ago. We live in a universe that was made by Christ, for Christ, and therefore finds its center of gravity in Christ. Christ is the ark in which all other things slip into joint. He is the infinite reference point. We need nothing else but Him. We need to be thoroughly convinced of that, and that needs to be a part of our lives, our faith, our protection against deception, 
and needs to be a part of our conversations with other people who are entangled in all kinds of things that are not according to Christ. Let's inform them. Let's let them know that God has provided everything they need. I think I have a minute and a half or two. Don't let anyone kidnap you or take you captive, verse 8. Don't let anyone condemn you, verse 16 we will get to. And don't let anyone disqualify you, verse 18. You get the impression Paul believed that someone, group of men or a teacher or a system, someone was out to capture the Colossians' allegiance. And he's writing to protect them against that apostasy. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study this morning.